0: Section fifty of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume Twelve: The United States, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section fifty sir william phipps treasure seeker and soldier latter part of the seventeenth century by charles c b seymour phipps was born on the second of february sixteen fifty-one, at woolwich in maine a small settlement near the mouth of the river kennebec his father was a robust englishman a gunsmith by trade and the parent of no fewer than twenty-six children all by one mother at an early age william who was one of the youngest had to look out for himself the death of his father placed him in the responsible position of head of the family until his eighteenth year he gained a scanty income by tending sheep but his adventurous disposition was not content with the primeval simplicity of this occupation he longed to become a sailor and roam through the world at first he was unable to change occupations with the facility he expected he could not get a situation as a sailor so he apprenticed himself to a shipbuilder it is probable that he learned this lucrative trade in a very thorough manner for we find him afterward in boston pursuing it with success and devoting his leisure hours to reading and writing in addition to these accomplishments he found time to make love to a rich widow and with such success that he married her in spite of some disparity in age immediately after this he went into business as a shipbuilder and constructed a vessel on sheep Scott river having in due time launched the craft he engaged to procure a lading of lumber and returned to boston he consoled his wife with the assurance that he would some day get the command of a king's ship and become the owner of a fair brick house in the green lane of north boston in those days brick houses were as aristocratic as marble palaces in our time these magnificent visions were not to be immediately realized phipps and his ship appeared to have lived an industrious plodding sort of life for at least ten years and without any particularly golden results he did little jobs at his shipyard and performed short coasting voyages all the while dreaming of better times and sighing that they were still so distant one day as he strolled through the crooked streets of boston he heard the sombre-looking merchants talking to each other about a shipwreck that had occurred near the bahamas it was a spanish vessel and was known to have money on board phipps walked straight down to his vessel shipped a few hands and sailed for the bahamas without further delay it was exactly the sort of enterprise for his ardent nature he succeeded in finding the wreck and in recovering a great deal of its cargo but the value of it scarcely defrayed the expenses of the voyage he was told however of another and more richly laden vessel which had been wrecked near port de la plata more than half a century before and which was known to contain treasure to an enormous amount phipps immediately conceived the idea of fishing up this wealth but as he was too poor to undertake the operation without assistance he proceeded to england while the fame of his recent expedition was new in people's mouths and succeeded in persuading the government to go into the matter he arrived in london in sixteen eighty four and before the expiration of the year was appointed to the command of the rose algier a ship of eighteen guns and ninety-five men the first part of the destiny he had marked out for himself was now fulfilled he was the commander of a king's ship when you want to find a thing that has been lost some knowledge of the locality where the loss occurred is certainly useful but phipps started with very vague ideas on the subject extending merely to a general indication of the coast on which the ship had foundered he was light of heart however and full of hope perhaps he thought it was all right so long as he had ship and crew the latter however began to grow dissatisfied and when they had fished in the depths of old ocean for some time without bringing up anything but seaweed and gravel and bits of rock they mutinied outright and demanded that the immediate object of the voyage should be relinquished they rushed upon the quarter-deck and bullied the commander but they could not intimidate him he got the better of them every time they attempted it on one occasion the ship had been brought to anchor at a small and uninhabited island for the purpose of undergoing some repairs it was found necessary to lighten the vessel by removing some of her stores to the shore the ship was then brought down by the side of a rock stretching out from the land and a bridgeway constructed so that an easy communication from the shore was established the crew had a good deal of time to spare while the carpenters were at work and like all idle boys they got into mischief they plotted to overthrow phipps and the few men he had with him on board seize the vessel and start on a piratical cruise against spanish vessels in the south sea Phipps and his adherents, if they objected to this arrangement, were to be put to death. Only one man did they care about saving, and that was the principal ship-carpenter. They thought his services might be useful. To this worthy they imparted their design, informing him moreover that if he did not join in its execution they would put him to instant death. The ship-carpenter was an honest fellow, and in his heart despised these mean traitors it was necessary to be prudent however so he told them that he would give them an answer in half an hour and in the meantime collect his tools he returned to the ship and by pretending to be suddenly sick found an opportunity of telling the captain what was brewing in spite of the watchfulness of those around him phipps was perfectly cool bade him return with the others and leave the rest to him in a brief address he told the few men who were on board what was about to take place and finding them loyal immediately commenced adopting measures of precaution and defence a few of the ship's guns had been removed with the stores to the land and planted in such a manner as to defend them he caused the charges to be drawn from these and their position reversed and then he removed all the ammunition to the frigate the bridge communicating with the land was taken up and the ship's guns loaded and trained so as to command all approaches to the encampment when the mutineers made their appearance they were hailed by Phipps and warned that if they approached the stores they would be fired upon knowing the men they respected this intimation and kept at a respectful distance while Phipps and the few faithful fellows he could spare for the purpose removed the stores from the island to the ship under cover of the guns the prospect of being left on the island with nothing to eat and drink soon brought the mutineers to terms and they threw down their arms and begged for permission to return to their duty this request was granted when suitable precautions had been taken to deprive them of any future ability to do mischief when phips touched port he thought it best for his own safety and for the welfare of the expedition to get rid of his troublesome crew and ship another less disposed to piracy soon after this phips gained precise information of the spot where the spanish treasure ship had sunk he proceeded to it but before his explorations were any way complete he had to return to england for repairs the english admiralty pretended to be immensely pleased with his exertions but would not again entrust him with the command of a national vessel he had therefore to appeal to private individuals in a short time he had secured the interest of the duke of albemarle who with a few other gentlemen fitted out a vessel and gave him the command a patent was obtained from the king giving to the company an exclusive right to all the wrecks that might be discovered for a number of years a tender was also provided for navigating shallow water where the ship could not venture having manned and equipped his vessel he started once more for port de la plata and arrived in safety at the reef of rocks where the spanish vessel was supposed to lie a number of indian divers were employed to go down to the bottom and the ship's crew dredged in every direction but with no success just as they were leaving the reef one day in despair a sailor observed a curious sea-plant growing in what appeared to be a crevice of the rock he told a diver to fetch it for him and when the red gentleman came up again he said that there were a number of ships guns in the same place the news was received with incredulity but in a very little time it was ascertained to be substantially correct presently a diver returned with a bar of solid silver in his arms worth two or three hundred pounds sterling and every one knew that the wreck had been discovered thanks be to god we are all made was all that phipps could say in the course of a few days treasure was recovered to the amount of a million and a half of dollars in sixteen eighty seven phips reached england surrendered his treasure to his employers paid the seamen their promised gratuity and took for his own share a nice little fortune of eighty thousand dollars in consideration of his integrity king james made the new england sea-captain a knight and thenceforward he was known as sir william phips he was desired also to remain in england but his heart was on the other side of the atlantic so he shipped his fortune and packed up a golden cup worth five thousand dollars which the duke of albemarle sent to his wife and once more returned to his native land prior to his departure he interested himself with the king to obtain a restitution of rights to his fellow-countrymen but without success he succeeded however in gaining a commission as high sheriff of new england and returned with the patriotic object of exercising any power he might possess to the advantage of his fellow-countrymen the first thing he did on his return was to gratify his wife's ambition and fulfil the other condition of his youthful prediction namely to build a fair brick house in green lane after this he tried to exercise his powers as sheriff but the governor of the colony opposed him and in spite of all his efforts he was unable to enter upon a discharge of the duties entrusted to him by king james naturally indignant at this slight of a royal patent he determined on undertaking another voyage to england and in sixteen eighty seven arrived in that country he found things much changed his old patron king james had been driven from the throne by an indignant people and william and mary reigned in his place from politic motives the latter were friendly to phips sympathized with him and offered him the governorship of new england but this he declined seeing that there was no other immediate prospect for him and unwilling to sacrifice his time in unavailing attendance at court he returned to america in the summer of sixteen eighty nine an indian war fomented by the french was waging and although unfamiliar with military life phipps volunteered his services he was not immediately employed but his patriotism was understood and appreciated it became necessary to deal the french a severe blow in order to put a stop to the encouragement they were constantly giving the indians for this purpose the general court in january sixteen ninety issued the following order for the encouragement of such gentlemen and merchants of this colony as shall undertake to reduce penobscot st John's, and port royal it is ordered that they shall have two sloops of war for three or four months at free cost and all the profits which they can make from our french enemies and the trade of the places which they may take till there be other orders given from their majesties this offer was too tempting for sir william Once more he offered himself, and was invested with the command of all the forces raised for the expedition, and of the shipping and seamen employed therein. Sir William's instructions were too curious to be omitted in this place. He was ordered to take care that the worship of God be maintained and duly observed on board all the vessels, to offer the enemy fair terms upon summons, which if they obey, the said terms are to be duly observed. If not, you are to gain the best advantage you may to assault kill and utterly extirpate the common enemy and to burn and demolish their fortifications and shipping having reduced that place to proceed along the coast for the reducing of the other places and plantations in the possession of the french to the obedience of the crown of england one would scarcely suppose that the worship of god was compatible with the killing and utterly extirpating his creatures phipps reached port royal on the eleventh of may and achieved an easy victory over the surprised and unprepared garrison he took possession in the name of the english government demolished the fort and administered the oath of allegiance to those who were prepared to take it he then appointed a governor left a small garrison and set sail on his return heavily laden with public and private spoils on his way home he landed at the various settlements and took formal possession of the sea-coast from port royal to penobscot the entire province of acadia was thus subdued and remained in possession of the english until its restitution in 1697 on his return sir william was elected to the board of assistants the extremely successful issue of this first undertaking against the french encouraged the colonists to pitch into their neighbours on a still larger scale and accordingly an expedition against quebec was fitted out the command of which was entrusted to sir william phipps the fleet sailed on the ninth of august sixteen ninety it was divided into three squadrons one of thirteen vessels and two of nine each they proceeded to the mouth of the st lawrence and arrived there in safety but owing to ignorance of the stream their progress was very slow and calculated to afford the enemy every opportunity for preparing elaborate defences at length phipps arrived before quebec and a messenger was sent on shore with a summons to the governor to surrender the messenger barely returned with his life the governor frontenac indignant at the request flung the letter in his face and shouted out fiercely that sir william phipps and those with him were heretics and traitors and had taken up with that usurper The prince of orange and had made a revolution which if it had not been made new england and the french had all been one, and that no other answer was to be expected from him but what should be from the mouth of his cannon to attack a fortified city requires something more than mere physical bravery it demands a high amount of military knowledge and a thorough perception of accidental advantage phipps was entirely ignorant of military tactics and therefore gave the command of the land forces to an officer who boasted of greater knowledge himself retaining command of the fleet after innumerable delays a landing was effected but the troops were badly supplied with ammunition and provisions and were hemmed in and starved from the moment they first set foot on the soil the french assisted by their indian allies harassed them on every side and decimated their numbers by drawing them into skirmishes which led to no result phipps carried his ships up to the town and blazed away at the stone walls but the stone walls refused to tumble down and all his powder was expended in vain the enemy on the contrary poured in torrents of effective shot for five days a state of confusion prevailed every day making matters worse the men were exhausted and dispirited for they saw that both their commanders were incapable the cold weather began to freeze their limbs and wound them more cruelly than the sword provisions and ammunitions were growing scarcer and scarcer and everything save the enemy seemed to wear a look of despair at length a violent storm arose many of the vessels were driven from their anchorage and the remainder availed themselves of the opportunity of getting out of the river as speedily as possible thus ended the expedition against quebec misfortunes pursued the fleet even at sea the weather was so stormy that the vessels could not be kept together one ship was never heard of after the separation another was wrecked and another a fire-ship was burned at sea four other vessels were blown so far out of their course that they did not reach boston for five or six weeks after the arrival of phipps the failure of the expedition was a great blow to the colonial government they had fitted it out on credit depending on plunder for the payment of the soldiers and a nice little profit for themselves to get out of the difficulty with the best grace possible they issued paper notes on the faith of the colony it was all they could do for there was no money in the treasury at first it was supposed this ingenious expedient would be successful but every day the bills sank lower and lower in public credit and the poor soldiers who had been paid with them could only get fourteen shillings for every pound on their face the defeat before quebec rankled in phipps's mind and as there seemed to be no immediate prospect of employment in the colony he determined on another voyage to england with the view of inducing the king to fit out a fresh expedition against the french In this he was disappointed, but his voyage was not without a result. Increase Mather was at that time eagerly agitating the matter of a new charter for the colony, the old one having been taken away in consequence of royal displeasure, and the colony being thus without any legal guarantee of its rights. After much vexatious delay the king consented to the issuing of another charter, on condition that the delegate should name a governor known to the crown and yet popular with the people of massachusetts if he had wished to nominate phips he could not have more accurately described the man notwithstanding his canadian failure he was still eminently popular at home and his curious history was well known abroad increased mather on behalf of the other agents consequently nominated phips and a commission was accordingly prepared under the great seal by which sir william phips was appointed captain-general and governor-in-chief of the province of massachusetts bay in new england with this document in his pocket he returned to his native country of may sixteen ninety two on the following monday he was conducted from his own house to the town house by a large escort of military and a number of the principal gentlemen of boston and the vicinity sir william phipps was a very unhappy governor with every disposition in the world to be lenient kind and just he found that he could not avoid making enemies the new charter was not considered satisfactory and sir william phipps the principal officer under it had to bear all the odium it excited his authority was disputed in the most vexatious way and an opposition sprung up which daily gained strength there were other men too who wanted to be governor and their hostility having a direct object was of the most active kind sir william became cross with the world and broke out into wild fits of passion all of which increased his unpopularity at length the discontents went so far as to petition the crown that he might be removed and another governor appointed in his stead beside this two gentlemen whom phipps had thrashed for disputing his authority preferred their complaints to the king and the lords of the treasury together with the board of trade united in their quest that the governor might be displaced the king refused to condemn the governor unheard but invited him to visit england and defend himself sir william accordingly left boston on the seventeenth of november sixteen ninety four and proceeded to london it was the last time he ever crossed the atlantic on his arrival he was subjected to fresh annoyances such as being arrested by the assaulted gentleman before mentioned and held to heavy bail but in spite of these we are assured by cotton mather that he was triumphant in his vindication and received assurances of being restored to office while these things were going on he amused himself with two new schemes one for supplying the english navy with timber and naval stores from the eastern parts of new england the other for going into the shipwreck fishing business again the prosecution of these designs was however brought to an unexpected termination about the middle of february sixteen ninety five he took cold and was immediately confined to his chamber fever ensued and on the eighteenth of the month he died few men in the world have had more experience than sir william phipps yet he was but forty-five years of age in that brief period he had raised himself from the condition of a ploughboy to the highest office recognized in this country from poverty to wealth from insignificance to esteem end of section fifty this recording is in the public domain